the end of May, I decided to take a break from social media so I could focus on making without the constant background noise that seemed to be sucking the life out of the urge to create anything. It was a self-imposed blackout that I hoped would allow at least some of the creative light back in. Inspired by a recent documentary, I decided to work on a series of 12 paintings simultaneously rather than a single piece. And within a couple weeks, I had completed 12 new pieces of work. Seeing them spread out on the bench was like fuel to keep going, so I set a fairly ambitious goal for myself. To create 53 new paintings, including the first 12, by my 53rd birthday on July 21st. Well, my birthday was yesterday, and at about 4 p.m., I put the final brushstrokes of black edging on the last piece, which was actually piece number 54. A week or so ago, when I still wasn't quite sure whether or not I'd make the goal, I sat down with John to talk about the project. I'm Jeffrey Sidoris, I'm talking to John Wilkening, and this is In Between. So you've been painting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> King of the segways. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I mean, it. you know, uh, hindsight will tell whether giving myself this little task is, is going to be a good idea. I think it will because I'm, I'm treating, you know, the, the, the first 12, it, it was interesting because the, the first 10 of the 12, as as you rightly pointed out, I finished in you know a week, or mm-hmm. mostly finished, right? But then the last two, they took two weeks to 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 just kind of, and I was doing other you know starting other pieces and that kind of thing. But yeah, it, it's it's really strange. So this next thirty five, you know, all of the the panels are out, and I've got them all. Uh, uh, together as one, basically as one big substrate, right? So for the initial base coating, I'm treating them kind of as one piece and they'll all get a a coat of raw umber. And then I'll do the collage thing as one piece. Then I'll split it up and start, you know, working on them individually. But I think getting the initial underlayer, underpainting done as one is, is the way to go. He says, yeah, hopefully, and, and hopefully, <laughs> uh, but this is, this is a pretty big departure from how you worked previously. Yeah. In, ter- yeah. in terms of just the previous pieces, though, visually and aesthetically very similar. Uh, most- somewhat. Yeah. I mean, I, I would even say that. Yeah, I think there's a progression through these. Um, yeah. In fact, I, I was chatting with Christopher, uh, who I haven't spoken to in a, in a while. He's been putting up some really terrific stuff. Christopher Matheson, for those of you listening. Um, and he was he was commenting on on how like the later pieces are really going in this in in kind of they're they're kind of transitional pieces to this next series, especially the one with the gold leaf on it. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm still, you know, I'm still, this is, this is kind of the weird part. I'm, I'm trying to be more free form with the process, but I still keep coming back to a grid for execution. Gotcha. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know how to shake it really. <laughs> uh, well, one may argue whether you do need to shake it. Yeah. Well, oh. that's the thing, right? Is this, this, this may be this may be one of the constraints that pervades all of my work. And and I'm fine with that. I just want to be more productive. And if that means that, that I do these, these dives into and out of a grid system to get the work done and, and to feel like it's, it's moving me somewhere else, then okay. You know, that's cool. I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I guess I would, when, from my point of view, your previous work was very much uh, methodical, mm-hmm. and w- like w- everything was like thought out to the nth degree. And yes, whether or not it worked, but yes, yeah, 
and there is there is always it it's you always commented about how how you wanted to work faster and produce more work mm-hmm. and and the like and this project was the first time i've seen those if you want to say those desires manifest i mean i think that's true right i mean it's it's it, yeah it's kind of strange if i'm being honest because i have wanted to do that for a while and i don't know i don't know why it never occurred to me to just add more pieces into the mix at once i mean that seems like a a, a really obvious solution in retrospect but it just it didn't at the time mm-hmm. and i think going in you know this time you know i i would think about one piece and because of the because of the process that i employ i have to print out and make the emulsion transfers they're, they're made at a specific size right so i would i i still previs everything i still had some ideas of where i wanted to go but i didn't this time around, I didn't think about the pieces as individual pieces, if that makes sense. I just printed out and made emulsion transfers of elements that I thought were interesting that seen as a whole could work together, right? And then ended up just sort of placing little bits of paper and, and collage elements and photographing all 12 as a point of reference to then go, okay, where can I use some of these transfers? Where can I use some of these blocks of color? Where can I use some of this collage material? And if you look at the previs this time, like the, the, the previous work that I've done several years back, if you, if you looked at either the sketches or the digital like Photoshop previs and the final piece, you'd go, yeah, okay. There are some differences because that's just the way it goes. But, but I can, I can see, I can see that this started as this and ended up as this, right? Whereas mm-hmm. on, on these pieces, most of them are so far afield from what the previs, quote unquote, was. And I think that's part of, that's part of how I need to look at it moving forward is not holding on so tightly to what I think it should be. There have always been happy accidents, but they were often a result of my own missteps, either tearing an emulsion transfer or putting it down and and it not being in the right place. And I pull it up and, you know, destroy something underneath or, you know, e- even within this body of work, there, there was one that I had this terrific black and white portrait of Khrushchev from 1963. And it, it was a, you know, at, at first glance, it was a really terrific anchor for this piece of visual anchor, because it was it was there was a lot of black negative space and then you had like the white of his head and it was this very close up portrait and it, i i thought at the time when i first did it that it that it really worked and at the same time i was eager to get the next steps down so i didn't let it dry properly and so when i put the masking down to to block out the next spot and i pulled the masking tape away it tore up a bunch of that underlayer and Instead of Khrushchev, it ended up looking like Gorbachev and, you know, because it had this big tear across his forehead. And in that, there was a realization that this piece was about, because of the elements I used, that piece ended up being about an individual, whereas none of the other pieces of the 12 were about a single issue or a single individual. They were all this they're all kind of an amalgam of ideologies and, and, you know, isms and ideas and, and semi-political statements. Whereas using that image of Khrushchev ended up making it just about Khrushchev and just about this one person and this one sliver of history. So I found a different image and, and went over it and redid it. And it, it ended up fitting better not only with the rest of the images, the rest of the of the pieces, but as a whole, I think it was a stronger, it became a stronger piece because it wasn't just about this one character, you know? So, and, and allowing those things to, to happen and not getting kind of stymied by them like I have in the past and just rolling with it and go, okay, well, 
there's that, you know, that, uh, that, that state and main line, you know, well, that happened. And, uh, and if you haven't seen state and main, I can't recommend it enough. You, you love that movie too. Yeah. 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 No, it's brilliant. Yeah. That there, there was one scene where, where it, it, Alec Baldwin gets in this car wreck and the, he's in this station wagon and it flips over and he's sliding on the, on the roof of the car and he gets out and just kind of this throwaway line. Well, that happened, you know, and he turns and walks. It's just classic. Anyway, um, so not getting kind of stymied by by when things didn't work right, not getting caught up in, oh, well, I blew it here or now it doesn't look like the previs and just letting it go. I think in a weird way kind of informed this next series of 35, which, yes, they're all sort of prevised out and the patterns are are kind of established in in how I want to assemble them. So this one is an exercise of letting go of what they should be and just doing doing the sort of manufacturing process and seeing how that turns out. You know, mm-hmm. when I when I've already established what they look like, what the colors are going to be and almost inviting myself to break them to see how that turns out. Do you think that that freedom comes from in the past you would work solely on a single piece? Yeah. And so there was always this constraint between the articles that you had printed off, the motion transfers that you created for this mm-hmm. and the piece, the singular piece that you were working on to where it was uh does this work for a single this single piece as opposed to does this work in a piece right and that that freedom to sort of look at all the options that you've had and go hey this doesn't work where i thought it would but it looks really cool over there mm-hmm. and since everything's laid out and you're working on all these pieces you have the freedom to just go, oh, okay, let's put it right here. Yeah. No, I think, I think you're exactly right. I think that helps immensely. And I think re- almost regardless of what you're creating, you know, you typically are working on one thing at a time. If you're writing a book, you're typically writing a book. You're not writing 15 books at a time. If you're, if you're you know, photographing a subject, you're al- we're almost taught to think, in terms of the singular or the, the 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 sole creation, not not sort of spreading that across multiple expressions, right? And I think with trying out this different way of working, it got to the point where I wouldn't even use a transfer, an entire transfer on one image. I'd slice it up and use part of it on one and part of it on another, so that and and they may get covered up, they may get scratched away. But subconsciously, there's a through line. They, they, they feel familiar. There's a sequence, right? They feel familiar from one to the next, almost as if, uh, you know, uh, the, the way in photography, you can take uh, a set of images and tone them in a similar way, or you're working a subject. And yes, we're seeing different sides of a scene or a subject, but there is a cohesion that allows it to kind of work together as one statement. And I think that's what I tried to do here, but also giving myself the freedom, as you said, just to go, well, this doesn't work over here. And instead of having to reinvent or, you know, sort of get stuck and go, okay, well, this doesn't work now. What do I do? I was able to go, yeah, you're right. It doesn't work on number two, but, oh, wait a minute. It does work on number seven. Or if I cut it up, I can put it on number four and number 12. And now there's a through line between those two pieces. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I, I, I'm really enjoying it more. Um, you know, who knows where it'll go? I mean, I, I, I think that that don't don't worry about that. Right. right. Now. Well, that's the thing. Right. You know, I, I was talking to Sean about it and he's like, just go until the tank's empty, keep creating until the tank's empty, and then worry about what to do with it, where to put it, how to monetize it, what they sell for, if you're going to make prints, you know, all of these other things that I typically 
You know, Adrian jokes with me, like every idea you get, you've already built the website. <laughs> that's all. That's very true. You know, that's and it, and it true. gets back to, to your, uh, uh, criticism slash celebration. Uh, I may have overthought this, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think what's, uh, I'm thinking about this sort of being able to use pieces elsewhere mm-hmm. and how from like um, a mental aspect, how healthy that is. Because when we, so you, you search your archives of, of potential pieces, mm-hmm. you select, you select out a few or many. And when you only had a singular piece, it was a pass fail type arrangement. What do you mean? So in, in terms of whether it worked or not? Use it. Oh, I yeah, see what you're saying. Whether, whether it worked, it either worked or it didn't. Yeah. It was yeah, yeah. included or wasn't. Yeah. So now, now you have almost a 50, 50 shot of positive emotion or negative emotion. Mm-hmm. Because I assume especially knowing you that when you printed out emulsions and they don't end up working, there's almost the trying to make it work because you've put the time and effort into it. Yeah. Isn't that weird? It's it. They talk about in, in sort of business, they refer to sunk costs. Okay. So the idea is that, if you have spent money on a project or an idea, you're less willing to let go of that idea mm, because mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. the cost and effort and time and everything you've put into the idea already. But in sort of in business world, it's being able to take a look at what you've put into a project and still treat it with the same objective nature that a new project would have. So and and kind of ignoring it. that sunk cost? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Okay. So, so so where you evaluate it on its true merit and not tainted by everything you've put into it prior to that. Mm-hmm. And from an artistic standpoint, those emulsion transfers that weren't used probably had a negative almost like weight to you when, when doing a single piece when doing a single yeah. piece yeah i could see that yeah because but, you do you spend the time you pre-visit you go man this is going to look great and then you get it and you go it doesn't work but i've got it here so how can i use it exactly where now it may not work for a, a singular piece but then you literally move one panel over and you use it right. or two panels. Like what you, in a, in effect, you reduce the negative emotions that you're subject to. Right. Well, I'm, I'm, I hope so. I'm trying to. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting if, if we think about this in terms of photography, where you're, you're creating a body of work and you're going through the editing process and we end up, and, and maybe you've done this in the past, maybe you haven't, but you end up going, well, this doesn't fit with this project. So I'm just going to, I'm going to one star this. But then later on, I mean, the reality is how, how often do you go back and look at those one starred images? Rarely, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if there's a way that we can think about our work without simply casting off what doesn't work in the moment, but still sort of keeping it alive and allowing it to maybe work on a future piece, project, body of work, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, I've definitely, it's funny, the, the true failures in my own work have often been the catalyst to move my work forward mm-hmm. more than any of the, if you want to say positives have. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's difficult to get past your initial assessment. Right. Where, like you said, you initially put a one star, 
because you you almost have to admit that you made a mistake in order to get past that. Do do you think that the more personal the work, I mean, I, I this seems logical as I'm saying it and thinking it through. The more personal the work, the easier it is to lose any sense of objective value of it because it, it's 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 so personal that if it didn't hit the mark, you take it as as you kind of hinted at a personal failure rather than just, well, it doesn't work here. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. I would personally think that the more personal a project is, the harder it is to even evaluate it, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, that's something where like, you know, like James Morton, who does the black and white photography of the individuals in the UK. Oh, uh, small town inertia. Yes. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. That to me, if I, if that, that was my work and I had to, I don't know, even just build a portfolio of that Mm -hmm. to me, that would be, I would, I would, I don't know how I can mentally do that because that feels like such an honest, raw piece of yourself. Right. Would you have a hard time presenting a project like that publicly because it's so personal? Is that, is that where, where that line or at least one of the lines would be for you? I don't, I don't think that would be the line per se. Mm Mm-hmm. I think when determining what is, you know, that classic sort of what is good in the project. Uh, we, we love that one, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's our favorite. I feel almost any photographer when they're creating work is wrestling with that question. Mm-hmm. And part of their push forward is trying to answer that question. Right. Or letting and, go of whether or not it matters. Yeah, that's that's the other. You know, I don't I don't know that I mean, I don't know the man, but I would find it surprising to learn that Eggleston worries about whether his work is seen as outwardly good in quotes. Yeah. Yeah, I I would agree with that. You know, or or even someone like Nan Golden. You know, I don't know that she is is I don't think good is the barometer by which she is measuring her work and rightly rightfully so, I think. Is it honest? Is it authentic? Is it of me? It, does this represent the world that I see, feel, touch, experience, etc.? I think those are probably more accurate markers for some artists and for maybe for many artists rather than is it good is it going to sell you know it seems like the 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 is it good is it going to sell those are kind of reserved for um god what would you even call them like investment artists or asset artists like you know damien hurst or jeff coons or you know that work is is perceived as good by a very small group of people with a great deal of money to spend on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, uh, I don't know that I would, you know, you know what I'm trying to get to? Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of people like small town inertia, they produce work because they can't do anything else. As in, the desire or the idea that is burning so bright that they have to put it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They can't not they, do it. I, I hear you. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like those musicians who are just constantly producing music. Jacob Collier. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, who I convinced is from another planet. yeah but and because of that so that's so personal and so close to the chest as they uh, might say Mm -hmm. 
that in a weird way, I don't know. I don't understand how someone could be objective with that type of work. But at the same time, I've seen people produce bodies of work that I know that they're, there's an editorial element to it mm-hmm. that's present to make the more work more powerful. Did you, do you feel that way about photography? Hmm. About your own photography specifically? I guess, I guess I, so part of me wants to say yes, just out of like, by saying no, I feel like I'm almost putting myself in a different class than than those photographers who mentioned like it but like how do you mean like like that type of the work that someone is profoundly compelled to produce feels like a truer expression of what it is to be an artist and and do you, do you not put yourself in that place is that is that what i'm hearing yeah hmm. like i don't i don't have that like it doesn't feel that all consuming to me did it ever even briefly it was but in uh i and my personality is i get obsessed with things Mm -hmm. and so it felt very similar to that that spectrum you know that way so in that respect it may be it it could have been anything at the time. It just happened to be photography. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And I've 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 been obsessed with random, somewhat random things my entire life. Mm-hmm. So I'm very comfortable with that level of just singular focus. Mm-hmm. That at that time, at that at that season in your life, happened to be photography and making. In that way. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. And so with that, it, it, at least from my perspective, I don't view myself in that company of people who seem, at least from the outside, to be that being such an all-consuming endeavor. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you see your work now differently than you saw it in the midst of producing it now that you've had a little bit of time away from it? Yes and no. It's one it's it's funny cuz I it feels weird to say this but I think but when I look back at my work I'm really I the peaks are very high. Hmm. And I like what I did. And I understand that in in a weird way, it's, you know, we've talked about this where the type of work I was producing is not the type of work that does well in social media. Right. Because it's a, it's a type of work that is easily dismissed until you stop and actually really consider what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your work is not sort of uh, what, what did we call it? One flick friendly. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but like, I also, I also understand that like with the way I worked, which sort of te- like ties back into sort of this painting project for you, I worked in, in huge bursts of energy. Right. To where I, you know, I posted a photo every day for 365 days right. in this project. I did things like that. Well, and even when you would shoot, you know, you would, oh, yeah. uh, the, the Mummer's Day Parade especially, oh yeah, I've got, you know, 28 rolls of film that I'm bringing and, mm-hmm. and, would, and would blast through it because that was yeah. part of the endeavor. That was part of the work, was getting mm-hmm. through, you know, until that box was empty. Yeah. 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 And the the downside of that type of work is 
you don't, if you want to say you don't learn and improve your work in sequential images. So when I would bur- basically do a burst of work, that work, if you want to say, had a similar sort of ideas baked into it. Mm-hmm. And any anything that would be sort of outside of that would be happy accidents, stuff like that, that I would then have to figure out in post in like a, anal- analyzing the work, you know, from from the past. Right. You almost have to reverse engineer some of your own work. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. But the positive side is that you could produce a lot of work very quickly so that you can figure out mistakes quickly and positives quickly so that you could iterate and sort of put the ideas in ways that would be beneficial. Mm-hmm. So there, there's positives and negatives, but especially for me, I took way more positives out of working in that fashion. Were you able to identify specifically what was there an event or, or or even a series of events that kind of took you out of that obsession? And did you know that the interest in it, could you see the writing on the wall that this is coming to an end soon or did it, did it just kind of happen? Um, we, in some ways we've talked about this in the past, but at that time, my thing was trying to make a living right as a photographer and in that singular focus to sort of derive commercial value out of it, I choked the artistic beauty out of it. Right. And it was, it's funny, it's like, I had, I, I haven't shot anything film related in I don't know how long. Really? At this point. Yeah. But like. Let me, let me ask you this. (laughs) Did the, (laughs) come on, you know how this works. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Did the, did the commercial. Did the lack of commercial success to the level that you wanted or or more to the point needed it to be at, did mm-hmm. that diminish the artistic value? Did that diminish the value of the work aesthetically or artistically to you? Did you, did you have any urge to tie those together or were you able to keep them separate throughout? Like, you know that this okay. is good work it just didn't sell because enough people didn't also share that opinion that it was good. Like whatever the, the rationale yeah, is. Yeah. Um, no, cause I'm stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> no, it, it was one of those where I got to the point where I'm like, I'm gonna try to make this so good that it's undeniable. Mm-hmm. And did it ever get to that point to you? regardless of whether it got to that point for an audience? I think it did if presented in the right way. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if you took my photos and put them on like canvas style prints in a gallery setting, that that people would respond to that way. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I tied so much of what I did from painting that to make that that equation easier for people right. would have helped dramatically. Right. And I think, I mean, and I've said this before, your your work, I, th- I mean, I've got a, a, a several prints of your work, and as much as I like them, I don't think they work as well at the size that they were relative to the size they could have been. I think your work in in particular would benefit from being much larger than it was ever offered so that it does become almost a color field, almost like, you know, Mm -hmm. Helen Frankenthaler or Rothko or somebody like that, where, where it sort of dominates your field of view, not a 12 by 12 or a 10 by 10 or a 15 by whatever sizes that, that they ended up being printed out. I think that, that, because there was so much going on and there was a, 
it's it's more visceral than it is technical and i think it would have benefited from being seen larger and more sort of encompassing and i think that that you know to your point seeing it on a phone or a tablet at you know 2 inches across you're not able to see and appreciate what's going on exactly exactly um yeah it's it, i there's been a few times where i've seen my work very large and it's like it's one of those where i kind of get lost in it sometimes do you have a different reaction to your own work seeing it that way yeah yeah Yeah. no absolutely yeah and and it's and it's funny like you know one of the thoughts bouncing through my head is you know one of the big obstacles at that time was that i i'd pushed the the financial element so far on like, you know, personal family level mm-hmm. that I, I couldn't take the financial risks to print them that large without, right. without, you know, it, it became, it, it became more of an economic problem than a right. artistic problem. Right. And, once I feel almost once that starts interfering with the work, it creates problems, and that's not to finance shame anyone. Like, right, it's right. Just it, like we all struggle with the same realities of trying to produce our best work as possible in this monetary framework. It's it's just realities in that respect, you know, but. As you know, like I, I've been, I want just from a personal level, I kind of want to start collecting my own work Mm -hmm. in that size again, at that size, just to see what it looks like to, because it's funny, like I, my house is filled with my work, but it's mostly my other odds and end works that didn't sell. Right. It's none of the stuff that I'm actually proud of. Right. 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 (laughs) It's one of those where it's It's the, the, the the island of misfit photos. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's like, it it feels weird when people come over and go, is this what you do? And you're like, no, not at all. Yeah. yeah, uh -uh, uh -uh. No, turn it over. Turn it over. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, uh, Maybe yeah, it's a so, long tail, John. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's, it's you, you needed to take a break from it. You needed to step away. Maybe you're self curating in, in self curating your own work and doing, you know, sort of large versions of the photos that really matter to you. Maybe that ultimately is what gets the work sort of back into the world. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would tend to say that you're probably more correct than you're not because in the past, anytime I've, I've, if you want to say struggled with, uh, uh, became obsessed and then unobsessed, uh, whatever the word is for that. (laughs) Um, um, typically it's been like, I drop it like a hot potato and never touch it again. Right. And it's funny how often the like photography still bounces around my head. Yeah. But I don't know what I haven't. It hasn't bounced around hard enough that it's popped out into real life, so to speak, Mm -hmm. you know, cross that brain barrier. But nor nor has it caused you to give up the ghost completely. There's still something rumbling around in there occasionally. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's something where now with the, you know, my financial situation is becoming far more stable Mm -hmm. that I now have the freedom to, to produce work in the manner not produce work not for the sole purpose of of selling it right but produce work because i think it's cool and it should exist in the world mm-hmm. and i think that's a very different like 
creation story. Right. If that, uh, right. I, I don't know what the right word is for it, but like, I feel that's almost an energy that people respond to more, you know, sort of. Well, and it, be <laughs> yeah. And to go back to something you said earlier, it's, it's, you're allowing yourself to ignore those sunk costs that you mentioned mm-hmm. and look at it from a, a little bit different perspective without, without the pressure of it having to have an audience to be good mm-hmm. and ha- having an audience that will pay for it to be good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I think there that's a that's a, a a sort of differentiator as well is I know quite a few people who have pretty large audiences, but so what? Those large audiences are not supporting what they do. They're being it's it's being supported some other way. You know, so maybe yeah. it gets back to that thousand, you know, thousand true fans kind of thing where you've got this small, very um loyal group of of patrons or or fans or followers or whatever word we're using this week um that support what you're trying to do because they believe not only in the work individually but they believe in the totality of what you're trying to do yeah from your from your perspective would it be if you could pick like two realities uh, one of two realities. Mm-hmm. One is that you're famous and like well financially supported through your art in your lifetime and forgotten after your death or the reverse where you're sort of ignored through your life and then you live live on forever. Well, for I don't know about forever, but but I, I think, yeah. I don't know. I, I've, I've wrestled with both of those. I mean, much, much like you, I, I kind of hung that good moniker on whether or not it was being purchased, whatever it is that I was doing. And I, I would rather, and in, and in fact, this kind of, you know, the, my next left turn, once I finish all this, this painting, I, I'm finally going to dive into wet plate and I've been circling it for a long time. And you and I have talked about it for, for years. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think after, you know, after a recent conversation with, uh, with a, a terrific wet plate photographer, I think that finally kind of helped me over the edge and, and one of the things that that was interesting about the conversation was was the idea of legacy and longevity and and how you know wet plate is really uh, at least to my knowledge the only photographic process that is for all intents and purposes permanent it's hundreds and hundreds of years these things will last and you know good or bad um or they can last i guess i should say so um you know, there, there's a, the idea of legacy and longevity is built into the process. Now, whether that finds an audience or whether it finds, you know, a home where, where those pieces will last and, and still be there, you know, obviously you don't have any control over it, but the, the fact that the, the process itself is, you start with the process being permanent and, and then let it find a home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and let's face it. You know, being sort of anonymous or or uh, not famous while you're alive, there's a pretty long list of creators of all sorts that that occupy that, right? That no, oh, absolutely. You know, m- most of the people that we now hold up as you know icons in the art world, like the expressionists and the action painters and you know impressionists. They did not make a lot of money, if any, during their lifetimes, you know, Mm -hmm. ultimately I don't have any control over it either way, you know, present or, or future. Um, I'm just grateful that I'm in the position that I am that allows me to kind of pursue it and see where it goes. Yeah. And I, I wonder, hmm, I wonder how much just 
just the pursuit and producing work. Like, I, I almost feel that that, in the end of the day, is more important than than the how it's received. It doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel that way when you're doing it all the time. But I think you're right. I think the art, the art's in the doing, the art's in the intent, the purpose, the sweat equity, the, 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 the labor of it. Mm-hmm. Whether or not any of these things that I do are called art by someone else is absolutely beyond my control. Yeah. And getting to that point has taken decades. Getting to that point where I'm, where I'm okay with that reality, that, that I have zero control over what happens once I call it done and sign my name to it. And I have very little control over what happens during the making, as we've seen, you know, but I do have control over deciding to do it in the first place and choosing to start and choosing to pick up a camera or pick up a pen or pick up a brush or pick up a palette knife or whatever it is that, that you choose to, to use to express yourself. That's what you have control over is deciding mm-hmm. to do it and and deciding what you're going to use. We watched a there's a show on Apple TV called Home and it it profiles different uh houses, spaces, homes all over the world and the first one was this incredible house I think it was in the Netherlands. I think it was in the Netherlands. That's that's a a, a 1500 square foot house but then around it is a 3,200 square foot greenhouse. So the house is oh, within wow. this greenhouse and it's just stunning. They're producing their own fruits and vegetables and, and the whole thing stays at a constant 75 degrees and it's it, phenomenal. And one of the other episodes was a guy in Chicago who lives on the south side of Chicago and is creating multiple spaces from these abandoned buildings and and bringing new life into this community that that many have kind of written off and one of the things that he talked about at the beginning he he he's also an artist and he works in tar and talks about you know his father was in construction and did roofing and he didn't have oil paints he didn't have acrylic paints he had tar so he learned to work with that material and and elevate that material to something other than it's utilitarian sort of use case. And I thought that was really kind of wonderful that, that, that this guy was able at a young age to see beyond the materials and see beyond uh, the hand that, that he had been dealt and, and look to, to do something greater, something more positive, something more impactful, and just decided to do it and and uh, talks about projects that had no idea how they would be finished had no idea whether or not he could finish them but the first step is just to decide to start mm, yeah so yeah that's a great place to end <laughs> And end on starting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this whole art thing's a paradox to begin with, so might as well just add more to it. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. When if anybody out there can figure it out, email us. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no! I, I, it's been fun watching this painting project with you from like a very much a a supporter mm-hmm. of you mm-hmm. because it's you know it's one of those where you see the ideas floating through your head right and now they're pouring out into the world isn't it funny though i mean i i, I look at this and i go well yeah but they're small you know all of these little things to even after the fact somehow 
negate the work, the effort, the art that has gone into producing the work. Isn't that strange? Yes and no. I think that that feeling or that desire or however you want to put a label on it is what drives you forward. Because there's so many people who look at their own work and are 100% satisfied with it and just keep on producing that work. Where uh, you hate you hate that voice in your head because he's constantly being like, you know, you should have done this. <laughs> right. <laughs> Shut up. It's, it's like that <laughs> annoying backseat driver. Right. He's always like, you could have turned right there. You you know this boat. You, that was a cop. You know all that sort of stuff. But that voice is also the one that keeps you painting because you always you almost almost feel like there's another great painting in you. Well, another. I mean, I, I I'd be I'd be satisfied with a first. <laughs> let's get to great and then we'll worry about another great (laughs) Uh, uh, and you know how i feel about your work yeah so thank you um but we hate that voice because it's it's always just poking us Mm -hmm. but it's also the voice that propels us forward Mm -hmm. because you're like i'm gonna show that voice what i could do You can subscribe to In Between in your favorite podcast app or get every episode of In Between as well as my other shows, iterations, and Process Driven all in one feed by subscribing to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything. You can find John on Instagram at John Wilkening, that's J-O-N-W-I-L-K-E-N-I-N-G, or by visiting his website at johnwilkening.com. Connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Jeffrey Sidoris, that's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S, or on my website at jeffreysedoris.com. If you've got questions or feedback or maybe an interesting story you'd like to share, email me at talkback at jeffreysedoris.com. You can support the shows by telling a friend or by sharing them on social media. If you'd like to support the work I do directly, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash jeffreysedoris. I'll be back in a week or so with another show, and I hope you'll join me. Until then, as always, thank you very much for listening. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you being here. And I'll talk to you on the next one. Mm